This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hello! Welcome back to another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Mahachek. I am so glad you're here. How are you doing today? Has anyone asked you that yet today? How are you? I want to know. I'm doing wonderful because this is the final couple of days before we launch the End Emotional Eating, the E3 program, and I am super excited to get this group started there's been a lot of interest, a lot of um, questions about it and, and looking into it. And I'm so pumped for this group to happen because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing. People are going to do wonderful things. Real quick, the last couple of days to enroll in this particular group. This is a six-week group program called E3 and Emotional Eating. And the last day to enroll is... Saturday. So this is coming out, this podcast episode's coming out Wednesday. The last day to enroll is Saturday, and then we start Sunday. So if you had any interest at all, if you were looking into it and haven't decided yet, make that decision because it's going to uh, happen quickly. And I won't be offering this again until next year. So uh, if, now's the time. Now's the time to get in there, get some of this deeper work done, and you can fly through the holidays knowing that you are set up for success. Uh, if you have not yet heard of the E3 program, I'm going to spend like 30 seconds talking about it quick, and then we're going to dive into what we're going to talk about today. So if you have no interest, just hit the 30-second skip button. Um, but this program is a six-week program, and we're diving deep into the underlying habits and the underlying thoughts and beliefs that drive our habits around emotional eating. And real quick, emotional eating is different than stress eating. Emotional eating is tied to any emotion. So stress eating is when we eat when we're stressed out. Emotional eating is the, the patterns and the habits around any emotion. So these are things like fast eating because we're anxious or uh, boredom eating. Boredom is an emotion. Um, eating until you're uncomfortably full and just kind of checking out, distracted eating, all of those are tied to emotions. And these are the things that we tackle in this program. Um, uh, just a real quick breakdown. You can go to the website to check this out in more detail, but just a quick overview of what the program is like. The first two weeks, we are recognizing the habits that you have currently because you cannot improve something or modify something unless you know what it is. So we spend a couple of weeks really diving deep into your current patterns and which ones are the most disruptive for you. And then the, the next few weeks, we are learning new ways to identify our hunger and full cues and responding to some of the things that our bodies are telling us like when, what kind of foods it needs and when. I do have people take an assessment that will highlight areas of, um, it, or actually it kind of connects the dots between symptoms that you're having, like um, hangriness or moodiness or um, headaches or any, uh, any body system type of issues. It connects that with your food choices and your habits. So I have people go through that and then each person in the group will get a personalized video that walks them through the result of their assessment. So that way you understand 
what all this means for you and what all you can do now to lay the foundation for new habits. And then the next couple of weeks, we talk about how to replace those old habits with new healthier habits that are aligned with what you're wanting to do and and what you're wanting to change for your health. And then we also talk about um, being on autopilot and how to change that. And we talk about how to handle any barriers or um, prevention of falling back into new habits. This group will end the week before Thanksgiving. So it is a great time to be focusing on this prior to the holidays, which is notorious for people to just go on autopilot and give up on their goals and just start fresh in the new year. Not you, my friend, not you. You can start the holidays on the right foot, focus on your health and not have to start all over again in January. So anyways, that program uh, will, like I said, last time or last chance to enroll is Saturday. I will put the link in the show notes and it's also on uh, foodfactornutrition.com backslash or forward slash, whatever that slash is, E3. So hop in there if you are interested. Also, the best part is a good friend of mine is doing some mindfulness meditation and hypnotherapy uh, recordings for this for this group specifically. So each week there will be a new recording for you to listen to that gets you in the state of self-acceptance and um, body image. And she's doing some amazing recordings that I cannot wait for this group to hear because she is wonderful. She is fantastic. So, So that is your little reminder to join the program. All right, today... We are talking a little bit about subconscious habits, and I'm going to share a little bit of a personal story that I had this massive reflection on or massive realization on that, you know, even though I'm in this world and I talk about habits and I talk about subconscious thinking and patterns and all of that, I still I still realize things about myself all the time. And this one was massive. And, and honestly, it kind of changed the way I look about things. So I'll share that story in a second. But what I want to lead you off with is how many times have you said, I know what to do. I just need to do it. I know you have. Don't don't lie to me. Everyone at some point has probably thought this, heard it said, or said it themselves. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said that to me, I could afford to buy this farm that I want to buy so badly. It's it's very common to say that. And honestly, when you look at it, it is it's kind of it's two things. One, it's a deflection and it's it's an excuse to stay in your comfort zone. If you think about that, it's a defense mechanism. And it is, it's what somebody says when they're fighting so hard for their limits. And what I mean by that is knowing what to do is not the problem. It's never the problem, especially now. We all have these powerful little computers in our pockets that you can look up anything you want. We're at, you know, questionable if it's true or not, whatever comes up. But still, you have a question about something. I do this all the time. Somebody asks me a question, I'm like, I don't know, let me look it up. We do that all the time. It's not a lack of information that's the issue. It's the application of the information that's the disconnect. That's where the I just need to do it part comes in. So it's it's people saying like, I know what to do or I've heard that before. And hearing something and knowing what to do is a lot different than actually understanding it. You can know something and not understand it. 
So when somebody says that to me, and this happens probably five to 10 times a week, I hear this, like I'm telling you, it's, it's so common to hear. When somebody says that to me, what my thought immediately is, okay, it's a habit issue. It's a subconscious block. They have a subconscious block somewhere. We got to figure out where that is. And this is not as hard or it doesn't need to be as hard as we make it out to be. So for example, if somebody says, or or one of the times or many of the times that I hear this being said are when I'm talking to somebody and they're almost embarrassed. They're almost embarrassed to be talking with me because theoretically they should, they should, quote unquote, should know how to eat for their body, or they should know how to lose weight, or they should know a better way of living to say lower blood pressure or cholesterol or something like that because they feel like, oh, I know this. I know this. I've heard things before. I've heard that you need to eat vegetables. I've heard that you need to exercise. I've heard that you need to stop eating fast food all the time. They've heard things, but they're not doing it. And that's where the disconnect comes in. That's where that's where there's a difference between hearing something and knowing something. And a lot of times I'll find that when I say something that people have, have heard at one point or another, they almost brush it off. Like, oh, that can't be true. Or I shouldn't say they can't, that can't be true. It's like, oh yeah, I've heard this before. Uh-huh, I know. And there's a reason that you keep hearing it. It's because you're not applying it. And when you apply it is when the magic happens. And application of any information, especially related to nutrition, especially related to lifestyle, that is all related to habits. So what is blocking you? What is blocking you from achieving or, or doing the thing that you quote unquote know that you need to be doing? What's blocking you? Sometimes it's thing number one that could be blocking you is the act of changing is harder than living in the misery of where you're at now. It's comfortable to stay where you're at. That's our, that's just human design. Like that, that's, we are a species that likes to be comfortable, but we're also a species that likes predictability. Our brains like predictability. It doesn't want to feel like something is going to surprise it along the way. So even if you're doing something that is not benefiting your health, it's sometimes easier to stay doing the thing that you don't necessarily want to be doing because that now your brain doesn't have to predict a different outcome. And I know logically that may not make sense. I've, I've talked to a lot of people, especially tobacco users, who are like, I know I should be quitting. I don't want to be smoking anymore. I don't want to use tobacco. I know all the things, all the health reasons why to quit. But I still pick up the habit or I, sp- I still pick up the cigarettes. And some people will say, well, it's a physical addiction. And some people say it's chemical and all of that. And it is to a degree. But it's also their brain knows exactly how to respond to the action. Another example is going to bed early. There are so many people who simply stay up way too late. And all the logic in the world on their brain says, I need to go to bed earlier. A good night's sleep, I would feel so much better. I would have more energy. I would make better choices. I would get out and exercise. All of that logic is there. That's the knowing, right? I know what to do. I know. I've heard that that's healthy. I heard I should go to bed early. But the doing part is the brain, the subconscious brain, knowing exactly the outcome that they'll get when they stay up late. 
The subconscious brain knows how much energy it's going to expend. It knows the outcome. It knows what to expect. It's safe. It's safe to do that. Going to bed early, although all the logic in the world will say, that's a good idea. We know that, right? I know what to do. I know that. But to your subconscious brain, something different can be a threat and it's not safe anymore. Now you might be asking, well, how in the world am I supposed to ever change my habits? And there's a couple of ways to do that. But for this example, it's microdosing. Microdose your new action that you're wanting to do. And what I mean by microdosing is if you're staying up until, you know, 1 a.m. every single night, to expect to fall asleep by 9 p.m. is probably too big of a jump. And when there's too big of a jump, that's scary to our brain. That's a threat. Same as when people say, I want to lose 50 pounds. That's a huge number and that's a huge threat. From a survival standpoint for your brain, your brain thinks, well, that would put us in a massive you know, state of chaos and the hormones would shift too dramatically and that's just not going to happen. Nope, we got to stay safe. So let's you know, send the signals for sugar cravings. You can think of it in that way as well. But if you were to microdose it, microdose the new action and say, I'm going to start going to bed at 1230 and gradually work your way down. And again, you may think like, okay, I've, I know this. I've heard this before. Uh-huh. It's not supposed to be brand new information, but maybe it's the information you need in this moment to connect the dots for you. So back to the example of the weight loss. I know I'm throwing two examples at once. That's kind of confusing at you, but you're, you're smart. You got it. So back to the example of weight loss. If someone were to say, okay, I want to lose 50 pounds to your brain subconsciously, that's like, oh, no, we're not, we're not doing that. That's too scary for us. That's too big of a threat. But if you were to say, I'm going to lose one pound, your brain's like, oh, okay, no, no problem. That's cool. So microdosing the goals, it may seem, especially with weight loss, especially with weight loss, everyone is so, they're so impatient and they just want it now. Because especially if you've been struggling with it for decades, I get it. You are impatient because it's been such a struggle and you're like, why can't this just be the way I want it to be now? But microdosing is the safest way of allowing your body to adjust and allowing, most importantly, your brain to not see it as a threat. It's amazing when you start to microdose things and, and work on releasing some of the subconscious thoughts and habits. It's amazing the outcome you'll see. And it's effortless. It is. It's effortless. It's not this massive drama and pain and suffering of restricting and, and counting everything and, and, oh, I only lost half a pound and I thought I'd be down seven by now. It's none of that. It's micro, it's, it's releasing all of that emotion tied to the outcome and it allows your body to do what it's designed to do and it will release some of the weight. So I told you I wanted to share a, a personal story with this. Um, kind of along the same line. So if you have zero interest in my personal story, just skip ahead. That's totally fine. So I used to be a runner. I used to run marathons back in my 20s. And every time I would start training for a marathon, you know, you see marathon runners and you think like these like super svelte, like thin, lanky runners. I'm 5'5". Five five. Like I am not lanky in any regards. But when I would train, 
I honestly, I did start training for marathons with the intent to lose weight. That was my that goal. And I liked the competition part of it. I'm a former athlete, so I liked the com- competition. Um, but that was my underlying goal was weight loss. And, you know, in my 20s, I've shared this before, how involved with weight loss and in, in, in that whole diet scene I was. I was so into that. Um, thankfully, I'm not anymore, but that was the case. Anyways, so when I would train for marathons, I would get so discouraged within the first, you know, couple of weeks of training, I would gain weight. I was one of those runners that would gain weight all the time. And it was so frustrating. So of course, not knowing any better back in that, those days, I would restrict. What's the worst thing a distance runner can do? Restrict your food. <laughs> that was that's the worst thing. Running 101, running nutrition 101, don't restrict your food. Anyways, but that was my mindset. And I would restrict and I would restrict and I would eat just barely enough to make sure I didn't pass out on a run, but I would restrict and I would still gain weight. And it got to the point where after a a marathon was over, after the training was over, after the race was over, I would swear off running because I'm like, no, I I just gained weight. I, this is opposite of what I want. I'm not running anymore. I, I blamed running. I blamed running. That was my, my way of staying safe. I blamed running. So fast forward, and and I ran, I've run four marathons and, you know, a dozen or so half marathons with each one. Anytime I would run, anytime I would train, I would gain weight. So it was a frustrating thing. Once I started having kids, I kind of didn't run anymore. I I just didn't, you know, I didn't have the time, didn't have the desire, didn't whatever, didn't, didn't want to. And I lost weight. I lost weight after all my kids. I, you know, I I hate to throw that out there because I know a lot of people struggle with this, but Um, But maybe you can glean some information from this story. So fast forward to today. And my husband and I are training for a half marathon. It's actually in a couple of weeks. And I was hesitant at first because I know my pattern in the past of gaining weight. And I was just like, you know what? Whatever. It's fine. I really want to train for this run. I want to have something to focus on. I want to challenge myself physically again. I miss that. So screw it. I'll just take, I'll take the hit, (laughs) you know, I'll take the hit because weight doesn't matter to me anymore. And I've, I've accepted, you know, who I am and, and all of that. So I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's train. Wouldn't you know, I lost weight this time. And again, that was not the goal. Um, 20 something me would have been thrilled, but 30, almost 40 something me is like, man, whatever. But I find it interesting from a scientific and a nutrition perspective. And I, when I, I realized that the other day that I have actually lost weight this time around and not gained, I was like, well, okay, let's analyze this. Cause I'm a dork. Let's analyze this. What's different. What is so different? Especially because when I first started training and I ran all those marathons, I was in my twenties. I didn't have kids. I wasn't pushing pre-menopause. You know, I, I was at the prime. I should have been losing weight theoretically, but this time around four kids later, my body is different. My hormones are different. Everything is different. What is different? Why am I, why am I losing weight this time? And do you know what hit me like a two by four to the face? My habits. Like I felt, well, I should have known that, you know, (laughs) like I know it, I just need to do it. I should have known that it should have been more apparent to me, but I needed to get quiet and I needed to reflect on it. And that's what's different. Back in my 20s, when I was training for marathons and I was so focused on weight loss, first of all, focusing on the problem will never give you the solution. I don't know if, if you have 
experience with that, but heavily focusing on the the wrong and something that's wrong, you're never going to come at it from a point of healing and a point of uh, solution. Looking back on it, my mindset was, oh, I just did a 10 mile run. I, I, I can have an extra scoop of pasta. I can have an extra cookie. I can have an extra whatever. That was my mindset. That was my pattern. That was my habit. I was in the habit of because I had not yet done the work on myself and my habits and my beliefs, I was still in the thought and the belief of food as a reward for exercise. That was my thought. Now, of course, there is a calorie component to this. And and I've said before, I do not buy into the hype of calories in, calories out being the sole determiner of weight loss. But it is, we cannot turn our back on the fact that there is a, it does play a small role. However, when you look at the pattern, having an extra cookie one time would not have caused a weight gain, would not have caused anything. But when you look at the pattern and when you look at the thought and the belief behind having an extra cookie, it snowballs into the thought that I can do, I can have excess because I'm working out. I can have excess because I ran fill in the blank distance today. So that those thoughts and those beliefs, I believed based on my thoughts of I did a lot of hard work, therefore I believe I earn a reward with food, that snowballed into, well, I ran, I ran 10 miles like four days ago. I can still have extra, right? It's it started the chain of events that led into that mindset of food as a reward. And that was one of the emotional beliefs and emotional habits I had around exercise and, and around food. Also, it's not like I'm saying, hey, I'm going to have an extra handful of grapes, which would have been supportive and healthy and um, nutritious and, and what my body actually needed because it was so depleted from running a marathon. It's always the foods that we have labeled as bad or no-no or, you know, I must restrict. It was those. It was the inflammatory causing foods that did not help with recovery from running, but it also added inflammation in the body. It added chemicals. It added sugar. It added uh, ingredients that are not supportive. So again, is it the fact that I had an extra 150 calories that day? No. But it was my body's response to the extra sugar. The, it threw off my hormones. It threw off my ability to recover. There were chemicals in there. It caused inflammation, which all shows up on the scale too, by the way. So I hope I know this, this example was a little bit cloudy, but hopefully you can kind of see where I'm getting at is the habits around food back in those days was the reason I gained weight. The act of running was what I blamed it on. But now that I'm running again, and theoretically, all signs point to I should gain weight at this point running. If that theory was true, that running makes me gain weight, I should have gained weight this time because I'm four babies in. (laughs) My body is different. I'm pushing premenopause. Like everything is different and everything should have, have aligned differently. But because I worked on addressing my emotional connections to food, my habits around food, my thoughts and beliefs around food... I did not have that this time. I had a different outcome. So I no longer use food as rewards for exercise. I didn't change anything really about my diet except for adding in um, proteins in different areas and adding in a little bit more anti-inflammatory foods and adding in more veggies to help support 
uh, my body as it's recovering from longer runs. Um, and of course, I'm focusing on other things like getting better sleep and drinking more water. Uh, so my thoughts and beliefs have shifted to a more positive outcome, not the I need to restrict, I need to restrict, I'm gaining weight, I need to restrict. It was a more how can I help my body do what it's designed to do. And I was doing myself such a disservice by blaming the act of running on the quote unquote issue that I was having, which was gaining weight. I love running. It's such a good focus for me at this stage in my life. And had I sworn it off because of a fear of weight gain, I would have been missing out on this part of something that is so valuable to me right now. So think about how this applies to you. What are you telling yourself? What are some of your beliefs or your thoughts around either an activity or a habit or something along the lines of food or how you're eating or how you look at food? What is the underlying thing for you? And another way of looking at it could be, what outcome are you looking for? You know, a lot of people will say, what goal do you have? But what outcome are you looking for? And then you can kind of trace it back to what beliefs do you have around achieving that outcome? And then it could be, what thoughts do you have around achieving that outcome? Because if your outcome is, I want to lose 10 pounds, and your belief is, I have not been able to lose weight before, and your thought around that is, I can't lose weight, how likely do you think that that's going to happen? So again, these are the things that we talk about, that we dissect, that we pick apart in the upcoming E3 program, because as you can see, it can have such lasting effects. I mean, that was almost 15 years ago that I was going through that whole running and gaining weight thing. And I mean, it can, it's not, there's no guilt. There's no shame. I was actually excited when I realized that I was like, oh my God, of course, course that's what's happening. My, my habits are changed. My thoughts are changed. My beliefs are changed because I did that work. And I'm so glad that I did. So I want that for you as well. If you are struggling with achieving the outcomes that you're setting out to be, it does not have to be weight loss. It could be more of, of something else along the lines of nutrition or food or health or activity or anything else. If you are struggling with getting the outcome that you want, Let's peel back the layers on what is blocking you from that. And, and, and it's so fun and it's so rewarding to uncover that with people and to have them realize that. Because truthfully, it's not me. It's not me uncovering it for you. It's you uncovering it with the right questions and the right opportunity to reflect and figure it out. You know the answers. It's in there. I am confident in that. But sometimes it just takes somebody else to bounce ideas off of, bounce questions off of, have somebody ask you the right questions so that you have the opportunity to actually open up your mind to what is going on. So again, if you are struggling with this, if you are, um, if you have any of those food patterns that I mentioned before, the things like fast eating, distracted eating, um, thoughts and beliefs around eating, emotional eating, stressed eating, happy eating, celebratory eating, using foods as rewards, and it's and you feel like it might be the thing that's causing you to be blocked from achieving your goals, join us in the upcoming program. It's, it's six weeks. It's a deep dive into some of these things. Like I said, my friend Amy is amazing, and she is putting together some 
audio uh, meditation and reflective type of things that you'll listen to each day, each week. And it really helps to get clarity on what could be the blocks and keeping you from achieving your goals. So any questions on that, please send them my way. If you are wanting to sign up, please do that quickly because the program is going to be starting on Sunday. And once it starts, I'm not letting anyone in uh, because I want to be able to have as much focus on the uh, people that are in there already. And it's very hands-on. I'm keeping the group very, uh, very small. It's very hands-on. So that way you will be allowed to peel back some of those layers. And, and be able to ask as many questions as you want. So the link to join or the link to learn more if you want to see the breakdown of each week and what we're learning, I have that on the website. It's foodfactornutrition.com slash E3. And the link is in the show notes. So just look at the show notes below this episode and, and you'll be able to click on the link there as well. So any questions on that, please send that my way. But I hope you join us. I am so excited to get this group started. It's going to be an amazing group. It's, it's already, the people in there are already awesome and it's going to be fun. So you'll have a ton of support in there and let's get to it. So any questions, please send them my way. I hope you are enjoying the start to fall, my favorite time of year. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Food Factor Podcast. It is my personal mission to help people make the best food choices that they can for their particular situation. So if you found this episode helpful, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend or a family member or somebody who needs to hear this information and also leave me a review. Those are the things that help get this podcast seen and heard by more people who could use the help as well. I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening.